You are listening to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Each week, our team at Wakarusa Missionary Church invites you to join us for a conversation around the topics that shape our lives at home and beyond. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And welcome to episode two of At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Glad to have each and every one of you guys here. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're at episode two, which means we are we're real, we're off and running, and we're super glad that you guys could join us. Um, so each week, uh, we here at Wakarusa Missionary Church are just continuing on a conversation that we're having on Sunday mornings, uh, really discussing topics that uh, we just feel are um, important for conversation within our faith community, conversations that are happening in homes. And uh, hopefully uh, you're able to join us in those conversations. So uh, before we get any further, we want to introduce everybody around the table and uh, say hello. So uh, off to one side, we have Angie Brenneman, our family ministries director. And then on to my other side, Chris Knight, our lead pastor here at Wakarusa Missionary Church. And then our guest who uh, gave us a fantastic and super informative and engaging uh, Sunday session, uh, Vanessa Mullet. Uh, so just to give a little background on Manessa, she is a licensed mental health counselor and owner of Essential Grace Services, where she provides counseling services to families and youth. Uh, she has over 20 years of mental health uh, expertise, where she has developed a method of counseling that integrates the use of art and faith, which we're super excited to hear about, too, because I uh, as you get to guys, we'll hear more from Manessa. You'll just, there, there's a, there's a great creative spirit. So Manessa, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So glad to have you, have you absolutely. Um, so again, for those people that are listening uh, to this episode, uh, you may or may not have heard our Sunday session. Uh, so if you haven't heard our Sunday session, we want to get you up to speed on just kind of generally what we were talking about. We, we labeled that session anxiety and depression, but really, uh, dived into kind of several related topics as well. But if you were just, Manessa, just to kind of give us the the overview of uh, kind of the key concepts that we talked about on Sunday, what would you what would you want to encapsulate? How would you want to <laughs> want to share that with us as we listen? Well, I guess I would say just in uh, summarizing Sunday that. You know, um, anxiety and depression account for kind of the number one um, issues of mental health related in America. And so um, I think looking at being self-aware for what we're kind of taking in throughout the world, what we're kind of taking in um, within our community, what kinds of stressors we have, what kind of life events, how is that all made up? Um, And then how to recognize that in our families and ourselves. And so becoming more self-aware and um, then knowing when, when is that moment? When is that moment to go get treatment? When is that moment to kind of delve a little bit deeper into that? And um, I think that was sort of the key concepts on Sunday. I'm yeah, and you know, guys, we we talked a lot about you know these these big terms of anxiety and depression, and how how do I know you know how do I know when anxiety is actually anxiety <laughs> when it's when it's like it's like oh okay I feel anxious sometimes but what's the you know when are we crossing that threshold of like a, a kind of a debilitating anxiety or or what is depression because like I can say we we kind of throw that term around culturally you know like oh, I'm feeling a little feeling a little down, feeling a little depressed today. Mm-hmm. Um, so just in a, in a way of uh, clarifying what, 
what would you say when we're when we're saying what is anxiety, what is depression, mm-hmm. and when do we go from a place of there's just like an occasional experience with that personally for us yeah. to boy, this really feels like a consistent theme in my life, a consistent mm-hmm. challenge in my life. How, how are we discerning between those two? Yeah, great question. So um, anxiety, I really kind of in simple terms, just to call it worry, excessive worry. Um, and depression um, is really that secluded loneliness. So really, um, and how you really know that those are getting in the way is that they are troubling. People around you are giving different reactions or you are secluding yourself. Relationships are in trouble. Um, maybe tasks that you used to be on top of, maybe they're not, they're kind of falling apart. Um, things that you used to like, uh, that's kind of the, one of those biggest signs. Like when, as a counselor, when we're doing assessments, we really just ask, you know, what are some things you used to enjoy? Do you enjoy those right now? And so those are some things that you can ask yourself. Mm, right. So, and they're just maybe a common conception of, you know, we use in faith communities, kind of it's a faith language, but just a sense of joy. Like, is there, is there joy in, in life? Cause I, I know it's some of my, and I'll just be the first to say like, and, and there's been times in my life where I would say, mm, yeah, the, where the depression comes to a place of where I've hit a struggle point where like, I do I have just a daily sense of joy, a, a sense of, of, of purpose of, of knowing God, a feeling there's, you know, a, a connectivity, a spiritual connectivity yeah. that's, that's healthy. Um, and, and I think, but again, I mean, we have to be asking ourselves those questions, mm-hmm. right? Like that, that kind of comes to that self-awareness thing. So Angie, uh, obviously on Sunday, we had folks that were that, cause we, we do this every Sunday session and we, and we want to invite for those of you that listening are listening that have not had a chance to even come and maybe attend Walker Rusa Missionary Church on Sunday morning, uh, 1030 AM. We are in our fellowship hall. We are having, it's all one big happy family down there. Uh, we just set up a bunch of tables. And as I always like to point out, we have snacks. Um, Healthy and, snacks. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Life, life-giving life snacks. Uh, um, but as we're down there, uh, we offer the opportunity for people to text in questions uh, about the topic that we're uh, discussing. So, we had a few of them that were, we just really felt like were there was a common theme. There were a few things that we wanted to highlight just in our conversation here this morning. So uh, do you, Angie, I guess you can just share with us. Uh, let's just start with the first question. Maybe we can kind of dive into some conversation yeah, yeah. around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the first questions I think we want to talk about are, what are the signs of anxiety in different life Cycles like mm-hmm. toddlers, children, pre-adolescents, adolescents, even adults, and um, how can we tackle those, or how can be we be aware of some of those signs, yeah. especially when we were talking about nonverbal kids, mm-hmm. you know, that when they haven't been able to verbalize how they're feeling. Yeah, so I think the overall theme and looking at um, throughout the life cycles, uh, really recognizing some anxiety and depression is understanding just kind of development in itself. So anytime, um, anytime that you become a parent, it's just, it's just helpful to just know development and what that looks like on a normal basis. Um, I think a lot of the times, um, when my son was in preschool, he would come home and, uh, they used to joke and say, oh, like kids are like 
bipolar when they come home. And it's because at the end of the day, they just let it all out and they just had these meltdowns. And so really, kiddos, kind of at that toddler age, what you're really looking at is a change in their personality. So... um and it could be minor. So there's a change to their schedule and you see a reaction. There's meltdowns. There's temper tantrums. Um, some of that somatic stuff we talked about on Sunday, really just trying to recognize are they, are they changing in the way they eat, in the way they're sleeping? Are they having nightmares? Sometimes those are tall tales to um, really what is going on. And I think nonverbal, that's what we need to pay attention to. Um, but how is it different outside normal child development? And so I think that that's key right there. Mm-hmm. Um, what about some teenagers? A lot of us yeah. have um, teenagers at home or preteens. Oh, yeah. Joel, you yes. have a couple preteens. That age, that yeah, 11 this. to 12, 13. Yeah. I have one of my own. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> So basically, you're asking a question. How do you know that they're just not being weird? And right. how do you know that they're actually struggling? Yeah. Right, because middle school kids, you just don't know about. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so I will say I have a 11-year-old, almost 12-year-old at home. And a couple of times when I was concerned, because the poor kid has a mom as a therapist, um, let's talk about our feelings. And he's like, just... It's just fine, mom. It's just fine. And so um, really recognizing what's kind of that hormone normal stuff that's happening because that all looks weird and that all looks kind of bipolarish, as we like to say, and, ch- and changing and different. But I think when it exceeds um, the stuff they used to like, when it exceeds, they're trying to find themselves. So there's some of that testing and trying to figuring out and trying to help guide them in that arena. But I think that any time that it um, goes out of character to the personality in general, um, because when a kid, you can see, and, and we talk about this all the time, when a baby is born, you can tell their personality right away. And so that foundation really stays with them, I think. Um, and so at a, like they'll grow and they'll maneuver and they'll try new things and go back and forth. But I think any time that it's out of character, um, that those are some signs that, okay, maybe we need to talk. Maybe we need to have a conversation. And some of those same things that we talked about um, that happen across the board from toddler to adult, even in the geriatric population, is physical symptoms, so somatic symptoms, headaches and stomach aches that are un- undiagnosed medically. So a doctor can't find out what's wrong. You've taken a couple of medications. Um, and so then when that stuff starts to happen, you start to think, has something happened recently? Has there been a change recently? Has there something happened in my life? Or has something really hit me? Or And sometimes it's a simple transition of a child going from fifth to sixth grade. So from elementary to middle school. Sometimes that yeah. causes it a ton of anxiety mm-hmm. in itself. And I think we miss that because we as adults have transitioned and changed literally every day. Um, I think that, you know, the the more we kind of move into this um, changing world, we start to see that people just change jobs every year. That's what they do. They change activities. They change hobbies. Um, and so how do you know when when, you know, when to really pay attention to your kiddo? And some some of it comes with signs with stomach aches and stomach pains. And what tends to happen is you see parents uh, having gone to the doctor's office three or four times. And I get referrals from the doctor's office like, I think something's going on that's bigger than that. Like, I think I'm not seeing anything. We've ran a couple of tests. Now now the parents are, you know, a couple of thousand after tests. And and maybe it's just looked at in a different way. And I think a lot of the time, some of those stigmas that we tend to um, ignore, uh, we say, oh, no, it can't be here. 
oh, no, we're not going to pay attention. Oh, no, it's fine. We'll just keep, we'll use medicine to fix it. Well, it's something physical. We'll just keep going that route. I think that sometimes we do that. And then it gets to a point where it's just, it's, it's much further. So, you know, I showed a slide that on Sunday and um, Angie kind of shared that. But I think it, it kind of starts off with like, the anxiety and depression is like this little guy, this like little bug on the ground. And you say, oh, no, 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 I'll just ignore it. It'll just, it'll go away. I'll just keep busy and I will go to soccer practices and we'll go to doctor's office and we'll keep doing this over and over. And then all of a sudden it grows so big that you're like, oh, wait, it's bigger than I am. <laughs> and it controls all your, and it controls, um, yeah, all your different yeah. activities you're doing. It controls how you think. It controls how you sleep, all of those things, and it comes bigger. So I, w- I want to jump on yeah. this for just a second, mm-hmm. a little bit more, because in this world, we'll have overreactive parents, and we'll have oh, yeah. a little yeah. bit, I don't want to say underreacting, maybe neglect is too strong a word, but <clears throat> uh, this is just life. You know, this is just mm-hmm. something they have to grow out of. Finding that balance along the lines with, at the same time, um, while it's something is still minor before it becomes major, mm-hmm. when when's the trigger to actually say we need to talk to somebody? I would say that so signs you start seeing your child's grades drastically dropping. Those are some of the triggers um, happening in kind of the academic world. Um, socially, you see things. Um, maybe their best friend is no longer their best friend and they make a couple of comments. So those are some actual things just for teenagers I'm thinking about. Um, and really for adults, it, I mean – your spouse is kind of that accountability and that team with you. And so anytime you see that your spouse is kind of withdrawing or their activity on a daily basis is changing, I mean, those are kind of signs where you start to have the conversation like, hey, what's going on? Um, And so I would say if you start seeing those a month, you know, like you try to to tackle them head on, try to do some more preventative because then it becomes religious intervention. So I want to take this just a little bit further in a couple of directions because now I'm looking at Angie and I'm looking at Joel and what we deal with when we're working with adults as well. Uh, To me, what seems to happen is in marriages, especially post-COVID, people have neglected the signs of things that are broken and they have put it off. They've put it off. They've put it off. Uh, maybe one spouse is saying, we really need help. And the other saying, nah, not right now. We're doing fine. We'll get through this. And the next day is okay. But the following day is worse. What I continue to find happen is people sitting on my sofas saying, hey, um, my spouse just left. Uh, mm-hmm. So fix us. And I yeah. sit there and think the warning signs have been there for nine years. You know, this is a long time in the making. You waited and you took what was a minor problem and now it's a major, major crisis. And so that comes back to this concept of counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, to anybody who's listening to my voice, here's the reality. Every one of us needs somebody to talk to. And so we have to break down the stigma that counseling means I'm broken. Good news. Mm-hmm. We are all broken, Joel. Welcome mm-hmm. to the club. Yeah, We all have yeah. that um, made in us when God created us. And I think... One of the things that I hear you saying, Chris, though, is also we get so caught up in our pro- our day-to-day that we forget that there's like little things that we could take small interventions way at the beginning, just small little steps, and it could change the whole trajectory of a marriage. It could change the whole directory and trajectory. And so I think we get so far down, then all of a sudden it's like you're saying like it's so big and it's so much more to tackle. Why can't we step back? 
do it at the beginning. I think we do this a lot of times with our kids, and I don't know about you, um, Manessa. I would like to know, even as our kids, like some parents would they get anxious about thinking of their kids leaving the home. I think this mm-hmm. is a whole nother avenue that we hadn't talked about. And I would like to say, you know, how do we even deal with um, anxious parents of not letting their kids kind of experience like the overprotection, like there's a balance to give um, opportunity for some risk mm-hmm. for some exploration. And so that anxiety doesn't build in the child. I know that sounds mm-hmm. kind of weird. It's actually makes the parent anxious, but it builds a little bit of freedom for the child. Can you talk about that balance? Yeah. Um, so I used to teach parenting classes and before I had a parent, which now I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, but there were some valuable um, things that came about in there. And one of the things I would always say to parents, and I had a parent, um, I remember look at me and I said, the point of having kids is to raise them to not need you. And she was like, what? No not need me. They're always going to need me. And that concept is something that when the earlier we can start to get that into our heads and realize that the easier when it is time for them to leave the nest, it will be. Now I say that and mine hasn't left the nest. And so I know it's easier said than done. Um, But I think recognizing that ahead of time is that if kids are never given the opportunity to mess up, they're never going to know how to fix it. So if we're always fixing it and we're always trying to save them, then when life is inevitable, burdens happen, things happen, and if they're not taught those skills, they're going to definitely want to need you then. And that's when you don't want them to need you because they have a wife or they have a husband. Um, and so it, I think that it's just recognizing that early on. But a lot of parents, and I have seen this, they don't want to. It's it's a mm no I'm not ready for that don't tell me that yet yeah <laughs> yeah well in you know we we in as someone who was in youth and young adult ministry for 17 years you know we we talk about <laughs> helicopter parenting and we we've seen where uh, where where you're you're as a, as a leader who is not a parent are trying to introduce calculated risks to young people in a relatively safe it, where there is an, op- an option for them to fail quote unquote but to fail safe you know mm-hmm. the, it's not like it's not like you know like oh they johnny's gonna end up dead if he doesn't you know work this thing out but but instead <laughs> like to have put to put legitimate weight-bearing experiences upon young people to say there will be many more of these in the life ahead and to start now in a safe environment in a, in a, amongst a community of people that care for you will be for your betterment. And then to see parents really, I think the part of the perspective that I walked away from after those experiences was that a parent's anxiety is largely projected onto their child Sometimes the kid is way less anxious about these things than the parent is, but then the parent's behavior raises this anxiety level yep. within within the kid. Mm-hmm. And parents, please hear me. I don't want you to be anxious about being anxious, right? Like I, I don't like the this whole sense of because um, on. Uh, me and my friends are these other parents that we get together with. We joke all, we kind of joke. It's kind of a dark joke, but like, we're always talking about like how we're worried about we're screwing our kids up by being overly, you know, by being overly <laughs> anxious about what is next in life for them, you know, and like, they're going to, 
that their cortisol levels are just heightening as we're like trying not to be like over over top of them. And when we say helicopter parent, it's a whole like mm-hmm. hover, hovering, hovering over them. Mm-hmm. Or I like the the lawnmower parent that just goes and mows the grass down for the kid, you know, ahead of ahead of time as they walk the <laughs> the path of life. So there's minimal resistance. Yeah, it's like the snowplow parent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, the minimal resistance mm-hmm. for their for their kiddo. Um, because there is a level of we're not looking to eliminate all stress, right? Like that there, there is a positive component to yes. stress. And so what I'm curious about, and because we want, we, I, I love the component of we're talking about mental health here, but we are talking about it within the perspective of, of faith of a, of a God who knows and loves us being made in the image of God. Um, and so holding those two things in in reality with each other, what does, from a Christian perspective, what does a healthy level of stress, a healthy level of kind of of, of tension in the life of uh, of a person look like? Like, what does that look like and what can be the benefits of it versus all of us saying, like, I just need to eliminate all stress from my life. I need to eliminate yeah. all anxiety <laughs> from my life. I just need to feel this super warm, fuzzy, whatever it is all the time. Uh, how, how do we think about it? Yeah, I mean, I can give you an actual real life example. Uh, so recently, um, my my son last year on the bus, he uh, he joined the bus. He got on the bus and he was on the way to go to Boys and Girls Club, and they let him off somewhere else. So they lost him. So I get a message from Boys and Girls Club last year that they have lost. We've lost Lucas. I was here to greet him on his first day at Boys and Girls Club, and he didn't show this up. This is a parent's just absolute okay. nightmare. So this right. is like 100%. oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Okay, so as you can imagine, we're new to the community. This is the first day at Boys and Girls Club, like, and I, my anxiety, of course, was really heightened. And um, later to come to find out, he thought he didn't know where Boys and Girls Club was. He got off at the middle school. He was safe. I met the principal over there. Everything was fine. Um, but this year, um, well, in the last two years, we started seeing in the morning that he was getting the bus driver was late and getting more late and getting more late. And he would they were having to walk um, what seemed like, you know, a long ways, a whole bunch of kids instead of just getting on in front of us. And so one of the parents called. And anyways, long story short, that he um, they arranged uh, the last two years for the bus uh, stopped to pick him up in the beginning of the, of the very at the beginning at the very front of our house. And so this year um, there was a new bus driver and she said oh no we're picking up at the corner and i was like oh no he can't walk down there oh my goodness he's in sixth grade he can't walk down there (laughs) no i can't see him the tree covers and what if it's snowy (laughs) so my so my mom like anxiety would like and then i'm remembering what happened last year right like oh no the bus the bus you know like and so i get uh, super heightened my anxiety and when the bus driver called me to say well he's getting on at the wrong stop all the students need to get on down there and i just was about to argue with her and say but this has been what we're used to and something just like had just said okay well let me just let me just talk about it and think about it and and so um I got off the phone and, you know, I called my husband and he's like, well, what in the world? And I'm like, I don't know. And so I'm asking God, I'm like, okay, God, like, what, what is it here? What is it? What's going on? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? And then all of a sudden, like this light bulb, it hit and it said, you know what? He asked at the beginning of this year, if he could walk to school. And we were going to give him the chance. Why can't he just walk a darn block? (laughs) 
And I was like, okay, so this is where some of that trust and anxiety and part. So, so part of my regular anxiety is I still want him to be safe, right? I don't want it to be, you know, and so there's a level of stress that I still want to make sure that I, I can see him. So I see his feet. So he has kind of like this watch texting thing. So he, he sends me a message. If um, I'm not, I don't see him leave the house. He'll send me a message. Hey, I left the house. Hey, I'm on the bus. He sends in makes, there's that communication. So we're practicing. And in my head, I'm like, this is like a perfect setup for if he actually wants to go walk or ride his bike by himself. And so I took that opportunity. And so there's there's some like normal level, like you want right. to keep your, your kids safe, right? So that's why you get stressed. That's why you're, you're anxious. It's an appropriate level an appropriate. of vigilance, essentially, mm-hmm. versus being over over the edge, right? Yeah. Yeah. My my crazy anxiety may have been, well, I need to call the director of the bus driver and I need to have this whole like lay down, play, you know, and so it and to probably- be clear, the bus, the, the transportation <laughs> department is getting those calls. They are getting those <laughs> calls. Are. They are absolutely getting those calls. And you're just trying not to be one more of those phone calls. I think I it's think a balance, you said it. Right? Yes, it's a balance. But I think what you said is you're trying to keep your kids <gasps> safe. We all yeah. mm-hmm. have this uh, excess of um, thought process. Oh, I'm going to be safe. And actually, if you look at history, and you know this, Joel, and you look at all the um, analytics and all the statistics, we actually live in one of the most safest societies for our children to grow up in <laughs> ever, yeah. whether we want to believe it or not. Yeah. Even when I get off on the wrong stop. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As a person who is an empty nester now, uh, I can look back and and just speak to this a little bit differently. I tell you, I was the one in the family that was most anxious about our kids and their safety and wanting to know that they're always, you know, who's 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 being me and you. I want to know this, you know. Uh, I tell you what, though, there was this balance to where I got to the point with with my faith, with my trust in God, that said, Lord, we dedicated these two children to you. Absolutely. And uh, we committed them to you. We put them in your hands to use them all their days, however many days, Lord, you will this to be. And when I would actually turn around and say, Lord, this is, I've placed them in your hands. I'm not taking them back out of your hands. I want to be wise. But Lord, at the end of the day, I'm doing the best I know what to do. That was my best result. I, I, I all of a sudden found a peace about it, saying, God, you know, you know keep coaching me as I keep mm-hmm. coaching them. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I've dedicated them to you, and, and I'm trusting you. And even in that itself, has, a hard concept. that has a positive psychological impact, right? The, the idea of, of appropriate release to, by the way, to, not to uh, luck or chance, but rather to a God who knows your kid and who mm-hmm. loves them. Let's just be clear, more than you do. That's uh, it's hard to kind of take that in. Think about that, isn't right. it? Like that seems like that's something as parents, I think if we meditated on that reality more so of, you know, each and every day it's like we commission our children out into the world out there, but it's like it's not as though the spirit of God is not walk literally standing with them in that moment and walking with them, you know, as they go out, which I think is our, our prayer for all of our kids that number one, they would be aware of that. Mm -hmm. And then two, that we would also remember that ourselves as their, as their parents. So, um, Angie, I want to make sure we get to the other yeah. the other question as well because that was well, we're gonna we went on a yeah. parenting and a yeah. you know walk with our teens with our kids yeah. which we all have yeah. that's that's a whole idea that we just pursued so let's go to a different idea okay okay so how do I keep up this is for all of us 
watching the news. How do I keep up with the news? What's going on in the world without feeling anxious in these past 18 months? And I don't want to be ignorant of what's going on. We all want to be in the know kind of uh, and be aware. And I think Mm -hmm. also just be able to um, realize that we live in this certain reality. But how what are your suggestions to keep this whole balance of the anxiety we feel from the world's stressors? Yeah, that's uh, that's a tough one and one that's really big right now. Um, for a lot of people. And so when I started working at Child Protection Services in 2006, I believe, um, I used to watch the news. Um, I think I had cable, I had TV as the center of, you know, like everyone else in the living room. I just kind of followed suit. And um, what I noticed was I was getting enough news during the day at my job that I didn't want to bring that in. And now I know that not everyone is a CPS worker and they're not in that. But what I did was I eliminated the center, um, kind of the center. So that, that space, that living room, that the relaxing space that's supposed to bring peace, joy, supposed to kind of lead to some of that stuff. I took the TV out. We haven't had a TV until I just got married <laughs> recently. We didn't have a TV in our living room for 10 years. So Lucas never, it wasn't the first thing we went to. It wasn't the the go-to, the know-all for every information that came in. Um, because I think that you can create a case in media or on the news for any situation that can happen and you can get any information and not all of it's true as we know um, a lot of it is subjective and it's other people's opinions and so I guess um, we really have to t- we have to it's the word balance is going to come back and we really have to think about um, how much can we take into our bodies into our minds and into ourselves and what do we feed to our kids because whatever you have on those kids your kids are going to hear. Okay. And so, um, my husband and I have a couple of rules. So we don't talk politics around our child. We just don't. We talk about what the government, how it's set up. We talk about the facts. Um, and one of the reasons we did that is I, um, I was around some kids. I don't remember if I was coaching or if I was mentoring, but I, I heard a kid and they rephrased a political kind of, uh, something about the president or who was going on. And I said, that came out of an adult's mouth that did not come out of a kid's mouth and then when you start hearing my son would tell me the things that fourth graders were coming and say third graders on his bus were saying and it's that needs to be censored to a certain degree so we talk about we talk about kind of that bubble wrap so i think you can put a level of bubble bubble wrap around your kids um, because you want to censor kind of what comes in and um what eventually comes out of their mouths. Um, but I think it's okay to talk about the reality. So what is going on? What's, what's real life? So the president, two presidents are running and there's a lot of bad stuff being said right now. So that's one thing. Um, we also just don't listen to the news. Um, we still don't. So that's one of the rules in our house. And, um, and so there's quite a bit of things that you can do, um, I mean, so there's quite a bit of things that you can do just uh, for pushing the news and what's happening in life. So one, you can take a break from social media. Um, and that is certainly something that happened during the, uh, <laughs> during the COVID 2020, um, time was we were on technology for homeschooling 24 seven. And so we said, mm, in the evenings, we're not doing anything. And so we stopped doing that. 
Um, we read articles later about what happened. Um, also, your trusted your sources. So, what are some trusted resources that you can find? Um, and all all of this is varying across different families and what scenarios and what what's important. And uh, some families have three or four TVs, and one's always on. I go to my grandparents, and there is a TV of news on all the time, twenty four seven, and it's not being censored. And so sometimes I have to say, Grandma, are you going to keep watching this? It's like, because. Lucas is nine and I'm seeing his eyes white and, you know, and I have to really say that kind of stuff. And so she'll change it or she'll mute it or whatever. But it just kind of depends on the uh, the way in which you can kind of control that environment. And if you have to get to a point, then leave. I mean, exit. Um, hopefully, hopefully this conversation of talking about self-awareness, anxiety, if you can start to see and tell when your body gets anxious um, and if you start to have those reactions when you're listening to the news, then that's, that's the time to shut it off. I mean, okay. I want to be clear on the question. So the question is, how do I remain informed without becoming anxious or depressed? Right. And that's right. what the question is. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this is a hot topic passion for me. So let me give, let me give some advice here. Uh, I feel like it's really important if you're going to watch the news, then you need to read your Bible as much as for as long as you watch the news. If you're going to watch 30 minutes of CNN or Fox News or whatever, read your Bible for 30 minutes because you have to be balanced. I also think, you know, there's everybody's kind of seemingly drawn to one network or another. And this is this is where truth lies. I think it's important to get a balanced perspective, but always go back to the scripture. Now, here's the other thing that I think is absolutely absolutely critical. I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I have to see see the game plan that's being laid out around us. Uh, I spoke on this on Sunday. We have to zoom out. We have to see the bigger picture of what's going on. Too many times, I think, as followers of Jesus, we're actually fighting against God's plan as it's unfolding because he's never said that it's going to be peaceful. But yeah. we expect that if it's not peaceful, if it's not this, mm-hmm. then 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 we got to fight for the Lord in this thing. And in reality, I think there's a lot of times he's unfolding his plan before us, and we aren't in the word enough to know or see or zoomed out enough to see the bigger picture of what he's trying to accomplish in our day. All we're doing is talking derogative, yeah. derogatory. Is that even a word? Tory, derogatory <laughs> towards uh, one person, one position, one official, this and that. And it's not helping anything. So everybody's getting anxious because we haven't returned, again, our faith to putting it in the hands of the Lord and trusting him with it. And amen and amen. And thank you. I think and, and this was Chris Knight, and I approve this message. Thank you. That's thank right. You. That's right. You know, and I, I've thought recently here too, okay, historically speaking, before we had access to the technology that we have now, the average so the average person living in we'll just say our own town here, Wakarusa, Indiana, in uh in the early the early part of the twentieth century, um, and then prior to that, would have would have gotten their news through a much slower news cycle mm-hmm. through a more limited scope of a news cycle. And by and large, their everyday day-to-day life is, is one of a particular routine that more than likely only interacts with their more immediate community. And really their scope of influence and concern and awareness is much more about their immediate community. And, I can, number one, I can guarantee that the stresses and anxieties of just that exposure were probably plenty Mm -hmm. for the average person. Now, 
you and I have the ability to not only know what's going on here in Wakarusa, Indiana, and let me tell you, it's riveting. It's absolutely riveting. <laughs> uh, Chris was telling me about some of the some of the local uh, the local newspaper stuff that's included here, and I well, I have learned a lot. Really learned a lot, and it's stunning things going on here in northern Indiana. But so yes, here, but then obviously in the whole United States, all of in. And again, in our current political climate, just, I mean, the vast differences of what, you know, Northern California is encountering uh, natural disaster wise and politically and all of that. And then, you know, anywhere and then globally we have, you know, so I can hear about my local community, national community, international community, Mm -hmm. global healthcare crises, all of these things, all within a, a few minutes. And, and I'm encounter, and and then so I as a person go, what am I supposed to do with all of this? How am I? How am I? How is this supposed to impact me? And then I think it's such an over. This is my view. Like it's such an overload that we either do, we do nothing. It it we we just say can't do anything. Completely shut off and take a very adverse perspective to it, or um we just become we or or we try to fix the world's problems and, and, and essentially accomplish very, very little because we are just so stretched and, and, and so, and so pulled. And it's like, and, and really what, what can we really do other than we're going to become a, you know, a social media warrior or, or whatever, and just, and share opinions and things like that. Well, I want to um, piggyback on what Chris said and that what the, the ultimate thing is we all want truth, right? We all, we're all in search of truth, and that's just innate in us. God made us want that. But what is truth? Truth is God's opinion on any matter. Mm-hmm. And what is God's opinion? As Chris stated, it's Scripture. And I think, um, Joel, you're going to like this, a little practical theology, right? Great. Well, the whole idea is we have to understand what our theology is about God to actually live it out in practical ways in our life. And what is more important when we handle anxiety, depression, is understanding who God is Mm -hmm. and what he is so that we can separate out all the stuff that's going on in the world, all the stuff that's going on in our lives, and say, okay, God, I don't understand this. And I, I, in my life, I just have this little practice. Like Chris said, watch the news that long, read your scripture. I totally agree with that, but I have another practice. There's this little basket in my head that I wish I had answers for things, but I put this, it's called my God basket. I'm just going to put that question right there. Lord, what, why are you doing this? Or what's happening? Or what's this? And I just said, I'm not, it's actually not my responsibility to figure it out. And I put that there. And Dan and I have these conversations a lot of times at night, and we were sitting down and we were talking through this discussion, and this came out, and I think you agree with this, um, Manessa, is that we all get in this spot where we want our circumstance to change, our lives to change, but actually, it's God wants us to change. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and that's really, I think, what you would agree with and and therapists kind of draw out is what do I need to change? And how how can we um, maybe take one thing that we've learned here in this anxiety and depression, say, what is this one thing I can grasp hold of so that I can maybe not be so anxious about my circumstance, Mm -hmm. but maybe a practical strategy Mm -hmm. that I can take home and say, how can I change me? What's this in it for me? 
Yeah, I mean, um, I would say we're going to talk some some part of partly about that um, this coming Sunday, um, but I guess I would just recommend that um, one strategy or one thing to kind of take with you in knowing that truth is figuring out kind of what your relationship is with the Lord and what He is calling you to do. So, um, and I'll and I'll say this again, but. Uh, and I said this on Sunday, is that I really think that folks who have a strong relationship with the Lord and they have a purpose, um, then there's a sense of belonging and understanding of what what those laws and what those, um, what is the Bible, that truth, and understanding of what the truth is and what God is really calling them to do. And I think that when you start to think about and pray about that, um, and you start to release some of those idols and those strongholds that are holding down your heart um, and all of the world and the community that's coming into your brain and coming into your head that keep those idols and strongholds there. When you start to pray through those and you really develop that relationship with the Lord, you start to find what his purpose is for you. And it's not changing the world. It could be. if <laughs> That's what God calls you to do. But it's not always tackling where where we always say as counselors and child protection workers and mentors, we want to just save everyone. And I think that that is one thing that we even just kind of in that, in that secular world, we get trained on. You cannot save everyone. And if you try to save everyone, you will dwindle away in such a short time. So it's the same. How does God fill you? How did, what's that purpose? Yeah. And and ultimately, this is a conversation of purpose. Um, anxiety and depression, if you are purposelessness, if you experience purposelessness or, or directionlessness, um, that's the, that's, I mean, that's one of the key factors in, in headed to bad places mentally and, and certainly physically, um, that ultimately we are looking to, uh, we're looking to a God that has, that these things that life is not a surprise to him and that, you know, he's not up there with some sort of cosmic, you know, slap on the forehead saying, I didn't see that one coming, you know? And, and I think if we can rest in that, I mean, that's, that's a great, that's a great relief. It doesn't mean that we're, that what we do doesn't matter or that we have to remain sort of uh, neutral or, or stagnant in anything and just sort of sit back and wait for things to happen. But rather, as we walk forward, knowing that, you know, our next steps are already held by him, you know, and, and I think, you know, those the, that implication should offers a great deal of, I think, of hope and of just a sense of, um, you know, if he is with us, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. Right. But if we're not with if we're not with him, um then there are plenty of other journey partners that would like to come up alongside of us, including depression and anxiety mm-hmm. um, that will slow us down, that will redirect us, that, that ultimately, because uh, let's not mix words, the enemy is out there mm-hmm. to seek us out and to destroy us or, or at least, because it doesn't even have to completely disable us. It, it just to cripple us to some, to some degree so that we kind of are the, the, walking wounded for the rest of our life and that our effectiveness or our impact is, is minimal and just can be easily 
uh, easily dismissed, I think. Joel, I want to take that just a little bit further. Uh, the enemy is real. The battle is real. Manessa, on Sunday, you shared some statistics with us that as I sat there and read through them a couple of different times, I found staggering. Uh, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 and older, or 18.1% of the population every year. Anxiety disorders are highly treatable, yet only 36.9% of those suffering receive treatment. I thought it was interesting that kind of looking at this COVID era that we're in, more than half a million people have reported signs of anxiety or depression with September reporting the highest rate of severity since the start of the pandemic. Anxiety screens were up 634% from January and depression screens were up 873%. Between April and September, 70% of those reported that loneliness or isolation was the top contributing factor to mental health issues, followed by past uh, trauma, 46%, and relationship problems, 42%. I guess if, if I'm reading these through the lens of a Christian, follower of Jesus, a pastor, I would say the battle is real. Mm-hmm. The battle is real. Anxiety and depression are real. We need to focus on the truth, as Angie was saying. We need to focus on the truth, the Word of God. We have to study it, invest in it. But there is still a place where we need a counselor, a therapist in our life to help us when these become excessive. But identifying that the battle is prevalent and we are going to continue to face this, we are in a battle. And, and the battle is real. And it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Mm-hmm. Let's get the help we need before it becomes a major catastrophe or crisis in our families. Uh, and let's let's address those because these statistics are staggering. And it explains a lot of the reason why more and more people are sitting on our sofas trying to ask mm-hmm. for help. Yeah. Vanessa, as we kind of uh, come to the, uh, the end of our show here, um, any just further thoughts, things that uh, – Maybe we haven't given you the chance to say yet that you're like, <laughs> before this show ends, I absolutely just want to share uh, this thought. But anything that you might have for us as we just kind of close out the episode? Um, I think I just want to reiterate the importance of getting lost in our day-to-day lives and not taking a moment to really just become, and there's that word again, self-aware, just self-aware uh, aware of your family, aware of your marriage. Um, we can get lost in the day-to-day activities and things we have going on. And then all of a sudden, you look at your child and you're like, whoa, you grew. You grew. When did you grow? And it's because we were just so lost. And I think once we take a moment and we breathe and we become bored, yeah. so to speak, as yeah. my son likes to say, then we can start to pay attention. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Make space. We Make all have space. the same amount Absolutely. of time. Yep. I think That's we forget. So right. <laughs> I think we forget. We all have twenty four hours. And we have to make exactly. space, and I think we all um, will choose how to spend our time, but we have to carve out that space for God to speak to us, mm-hmm. for us to process, just to learn about ourselves and so and you know, learn about our kids and um, allow healing. Healing's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Friends, uh, we do want to just say thank you so much for uh, for just listening to episode two here with Vanessa and 
Chris and Angie, thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, always grateful to uh, have these conversations. And uh, just so you guys are aware, uh, you can always check us out at walkiemc.org. Uh, if you go to the at home tab at the top of the page there, you can get uh, what will be all the resources. Manessa has a number of kind of diagnostic resources and things that will be available for episode two. Um, recordings of the show are there in of previous episodes as we continue to build this thing out. And um, yeah, we just would invite you guys. Uh, we're out on Spotify. We're waiting for we're waiting for Apple Podcasts to give us the final uh, to get the final go ahead here to say yes. We are going to show your episodes. So if you're listening on a podcast uh, device of some sort, uh, make sure you say like it, subscribe to it, all those good things, and share it around. It's always helpful um, so people can come in contact with what we are doing here. So. Guys, until next time, uh, just wish you all the best. Blessings to you, and uh, thanks for joining us.